crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello, welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Nuktagal, coming to you today, as per usual, from Jerusalem, Israel. Thank you very much for listening in. Today, it's Sunday, November 15th. We're going to talk about the discovery that was made this week, or at least released to the, publish, uh, released to the public this week, up on the Golan Heights. This is a Davidic-era fortress that was uh, discovered and uh, released to the press on Wednesday. If you receive our email... Uh, our email each day, you would have received an email of an article about this by Mr. Christopher Eames. Uh, we published this on Wednesday, Davidic Era Fortress Discovered on the Golan Heights. We're going to be talking about this discovery, some of the details about the discovery from 3,000 years ago, and then also some of the media reaction to it, as well as some of the Israeli Antiquities Authority uh, reaction to it as well. First, we're just going to talk about some feedback from the last series of programs we've we've been giving. I think last week we gave, well, the last week's program was How King David United Israel Around Jerusalem, and just a few comments that came in on YouTube. Uh, I love this program. One said, great program, said another, I love Jerusalem said another person. Uh, <laughs> well, that's good. And uh, it's a good place to, uh, to put your put your love both for Jerusalem, this city today, and what it will be in the future. So thank you very much for some feedback there. Just uh, commenting on a few other programs, the one from the week previous uh, we put up on Facebook. It was about archaeology and the repentance King Manasseh. And if you listen to that, you'll recall we went through a Haaretz piece about um, that was severely lacking in terms of how it covered the biblical narrative and compared archaeology with that, trying to make out that the Bible does not give an accurate picture from what was discovered, and that archaeology, they said, the discoveries in and around Jerusalem from the time of King Manasseh, the king after King Hezekiah, that they stand in in uh, opposition to what the Bible says, which simply wasn't the case. This is a comment from uh, Carl Merrigan. He is a postdoctoral student, I believe, at Tel Aviv University. He said this, seems like, uh, seems like you are the ones bending over backward to believe in the Bible rather than the expert archaeologists from Tel Aviv they interview in the article. And uh, so I, I just commented on that, uh, talking about some of the people that they did interview in that article and how uh, the, 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 the view that they espouse even though they are experts and even though they are nice people to talk to uh, and nice, I get along well with them and the few conversations I've had uh, with them, their their view of the Bible and biblical history and some of their theories, even as we'll get in today, are hardly mainstream. They've just been popular, popularized by a few academics, particularly at Tel Aviv University, who have gone ahead and taught the next generation of archaeologists their own theories as if they are uh, as if they are truth uh, instead of just being hypotheses. And so all that we ask, and as I responded to this man on Facebook, all that we ask is that the Bible gets a fair shake, that you, if you're going to compare the Bible with archaeological discovery, start with an accurate representation of what the Bible actually says. Again, that was to the program Archaeology and the Repentant King Manasseh. A few comments came in about the podcast about the uh, soon-coming discovery of the tombs of the kings of David and Solomon uh, here in Jerusalem, something that is going to happen in the future. And this is really the focus of our next edition of the Watch Jerusalem print magazine that goes to press uh, this Thursday. There's a few articles about uh, some of the uh, historical information regarding the Tomb of the Kings of David, where it should be, and also what the Bible says about it. And it is really interesting, uh, just if you read this, rather than just listen to the podcast, I think it will you'll have time to process it, and we'll be able to, to put this on a map for you as well. Generally, the area where we think it, it should be um, uncovered, uncovered uh, in the future, 
um, from the from both the secular sources and the biblical narrative as well. A few comments came in about that. This is one from Canada. Hello, Mr. Nuktaga. I really enjoyed your podcast on the tombs of the kings. Uh, quick question. Since the tombs were referencing as being there in the 2nd or 3rd century AD or CE, which is ever is correct, uh, both, both of those things mean exactly the same thing in terms of the number attached to them, AD or CE, uh, do we know when or how the tombs were covered up so that they were no longer seen on the surface? So he's saying that 1,700 years ago, we do have a reference to, to the Tomb of the Kings in Jewish writings. And so what happened since? Why isn't there anything else? And, and is there, how do we know, or do we know how they were covered up or when? No, we don't. No, we don't know where, what happened in terms of, uh, there's no other historical references that talk about them, uh, talk about the Tomb of the Kings, until you get to about 700 years after the 3rd century. So around the time of the Crusades, you do have a tomb of the kings being mentioned and being in mention, mentioned in, in connection with a Mount Zion. If you remember listening to that previous podcast when I discussed the Tomb of the Kings, I talked about how Mount Zion is the same thing as the ancient city of David, this small spur, about 10 to 15 acres of, of raised land uh, that, that the Gihon Spring is close to. That is Mount Zion. But about a thousand years ago, there Mount Zion moved. Mount Zion moved to what is known today as Mount Zion on the western hill, which is the hill to the west of the city of David. It's up higher, and that is Haratzion today. That's where Mount Zion, Zion Gate is. All of these references reference something that has been attributed as Mount Zion, but that, that mountain is not the, the biblical Mount Zion today. It's not. And the tomb that's there that is on that Mount Zion is only from about a thousand years ago. It is not, sorry to say, King David's tomb. I'm not sorry to say because we're going to find King David's tomb uh, in the future and it's going to be discovered and it's not going to be up there on that Mount Zion. And there's a lot of, uh, well, it's pretty clear that it's not Mount Zion, that this was this tomb that was there was probably a Crusader-era tomb. Uh, there is a Byzantine church that's built over this area, and this was a so-called location of the Last Supper, perhaps there, uh, according to some traditions. And so there is a lot of tradition attached to this location up there on Mount Zion, as people would call it today. However, it's not the biblical Mount Zion. It really took excavations in the late 19th century to uncover that the eastern hill, where the Gihon Spring was, where the most ancient remains are, is Mount Zion. And we had somebody, uh, Martin Lemke, sorry if I incorrectly pronounced that, comment on Facebook to that podcast, wait a second, what about the one at Mount Zion? And he's got a couple of emojis with uh, a uh, somebody holding their chin. And uh, basically, that is not Mount Zion. And we have an article in our next edition of the Watch Jerusalem magazine. It's just a small one-pager showing how that, that Mount Zion was appropriated and called that around a thousand years ago. Um, but it is, as as one uh, Jerusalem Post author called it, one of the most egregious mistakes um, by identifying that hill, out, that southwestern hill of Jerusalem, as Mount Zion. That's the upper city, as it is known in in other in other documents. So when they started actually digging in archaeology, archaeological programs in the past two hundred years, they recognized that the most ancient remains do not belong up there on the Western Hill, about the time of King Hezekiah is like the earliest uh, large spread settlement of that area that is called Mount Zion today. To get all the old stuff, to get all the stuff from Solomon, David's time, earlier uh, from the Middle Bronze Age, from the Late Bronze Age, you actually have to go around the Gihon Spring area and down to the actual ancient Mount Zion. And so that is where that is. And so I hope that clears that up a little bit. It's funny because I mentioned on that program, I mentioned two other potential locations for the Tomb of the Kings, one in the city of David and another that's called the Tomb of the Kings in the north of the old city. And I actually forgot to mention 
the the main one that people think is Mount Zion and the Tomb of the Kings. But our our next Watch Jerusalem magazine will uh, make that clear to you. If you haven't signed up for our magazine, again, it's free and it's offered uh, anywhere. Uh, if you're anywhere in the world, we'll send you a free copy uh, wherever you are. It comes out six times a year. And um, you can simply uh, email me at letters at watchjerusalem.co.il for your free copy uh, of that magazine. Or you can go ahead and uh, just go to the Watch Jerusalem website. And up on the top right-hand corner of the Watch Jerusalem website, you'll see a literature tab. And then you can request the magazine and just put in your address and it'll come to you. Of course, we also publish a PDF of that online, or at least posted online a couple of weeks after it goes to press. And so you can also access the Watch Jerusalem magazine there if you would like it in your electronic, uh, in an electronic version or an electronic version of that. Okay, let's talk about this uh, city or this, this fortress that was discovered on the Golan Heights. And this is a fortress that is about 15 kilometers from the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. It's in Haspen. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Perhaps I am, which is just close to the border, actually, uh, down with, with uh, Syria, just to close to the border with Syria on the Golan Heights, uh, due, due east of the middle part of the Canaret, the Sea of Galilee. And it's about 15 kilometers from Tel Etel, one of these sites that could be Bethsaida, where they did discover another fortress from David's period, uh, a big city gate actually from David's period in a big town a couple of years ago. And so what they're doing with this discovery is with these two fortress or two two towns and one really large city, and then now this fortress up on the Golan Heights is archaeologists have been assigning the people that live there to the people known in the Bible as the Gesherites. Biblical Gesher is this area. The Bible talks about this area being Biblical Gesher. And what's astounding, I think, is here they are excavating this area, and this was going to just be, this is like a salvage excavation that took place up there. They were getting all the community involved, the Moshav there involved, the settlement. So that uh, they could expand the settlement. And so they needed to do an excavation first to see if anything's underneath the ground. And then they find something from 3,000 years ago, something belonging to the Gesherite people, it looks like, these Aramean, one of these Aramean peoples uh, from, again, 3,000 years ago, around the time of King David. And so we have an article up about this, our take about it, basically reporting on the discovery itself, and then going into who the biblical Gesherites were. And what I want to do now is just play for you a small video that was put out by the excavators and the, and the Israeli Antiquities Authority about the discovery, what they found there. And then it also quotes, you'll hear some uh, children speaking as well, which is really, really neat. They're getting everyone in the town involved here in this excavation and, and really connecting the current occupants of this space to uh, the people that existed thousands of years beforehand and people that they read about in the Bible as well. So I'll play that video for you now. The Israeli Antiquity Authorities are conducting uh, trial excavations near the settlement of Hispin, following plans for the extension of the settlement by the Ministry of Building and Construction and the Regional Council of the Golan. We did find a uh, defensive structure constructed out of very large stones, a wall which is more than a meter wide. The ceramics dated to the 10th, 11th century BC. Roughly about the time of David and the beginning of the Kingdom of Israel. After starting excavating the site, we managed to discover that uh, we have some kind of fortification. We found this stone. We have engravings of two figures with the horns. Near it, we have some kind of uh, shrine or altar. We found this figurine, a woman holding probably a drum. The only comparison we got of symbols of gods is Bethsaida, also the late Iron Age one. After comparing to the other side, it kind of points us into the direction of the Aramite influences within the Golan, so they want to protect it. Hey, 
פה אני מטייל מאז שאני ילד, התעניינתי מה קורה פה, הסתדר לי עם החל"ת גם כן של הקורונה, הסתבר שצריכים עובדים. השיא היה אתמול, כשמצאנו את הטבעת הזאת, סיננתי אדמה ופתאום היא קפצה לי מול העיניים. לאט לאט חלחלה ההבנה שאנחנו לא הראשונים פה, ושהיו פה אנשים הרבה לפנינו. You understand that someone lived here a few thousand years ago. Pretty cool stone that they drew on it, what they believe in. Two people, both of them with horns. For us in the Israel Antiquity Authorities, it's very important to connect the people that live nearby the excavation to the story of this place. The students are very exciting to hear. that here in this place we found buildings from the period they learn about it in school. King David, about his son of Shalom, about the Iron Age. And when they see it here on the earth, they feel the connection between the story and the reality. So there is just a, a pretty good video, I thought, and uh, I'll put that video, or at least the link to the, the article has the video embedded in it, and so you can watch that uh, yourself. It has some footage of the discoveries of these walls that are one and a half meters thick, made of basalt stones, which is pretty regular for the area in the north of Israel there. And then just to see um, the connection that people are putting with the Bible, King David, uh, Absalom or Absalom, as we'll talk about here in a second, and this location, and bringing that history back alive to these people and seeing it as reality, I think is incredibly important, and it speaks to the value of archaeology at, at, at rekindling that fire of, that of the understanding of that history inside the people that live here. And what's interesting about that video compared to all the reporting of it It's like the people in that video are ready to accept that the biblical narrative is is accurate or true. And then all the reporting of it about the Geshurites, what took place here according to what the Bible says, it's like the scholars aren't willing to really consult that uh, text or even believe it. They write it off as being a fabrication of, of history, not true history, uh, which is, it just highlights this, this separation of, between the everyday people that are actually digging there, the people that live in that settlement that are making the right connection to it, to the site and to the Bible, and the scholarly world, the academics that are busy, it seems, trying to refute the biblical narrative as being accurate, even when there is evidence like this that matches really nicely with the Bible. And so let's talk about what the Bible says about Gesher, this territory, uh, during the... During the Uh, the reign of King, King David, and shortly thereafter as well. And then we'll get into more of some of the specifics of the reporting of, of the discovery. So there were, if you go through the Bible, the, the, the earliest mention of the Geshurites, the people living in this area up to the northern part of the, of, of, of the Kinneret and also into the Golan Heights region, uh, we see them during the time of Joshua. And it says that this, this, this area was given to the tribe of Manasseh, but they were not able to drive out all the inhabitants of their tribal land. And one of the people that are labeled there in Joshua 13, 13 are the Geshurites. These are, these are elusive people. We don't really know a lot about them outside of what the Bible talks about. They were there during the time of Joshua. Manasseh, the tribe, wasn't able to run them out. And so they continued to live there. And then the next time we talk about them in the Bible, the Bible records them, is during the reign of King Solomon and uh, King David, sorry, and just before him, the reign of King Saul. Now, during the last year and a half before King Saul's death, so right at the end of the time of King Saul, the, the Geshurites returned to the biblical narrative. And during this time, you'll recall King David and lots of members of his family and plenty of other supporters. They're on the run from King Saul. King Saul's trying to put uh, David to death. David's actually has a league with uh, King Achish, who is one of the kings of the Philistines, the kings of, kings of Gath. Um, and at this point, uh, David actually gets some territory and a town from the Philistines to, to live in. And that town that he, he gets is uh, the town of Ziklag. 
And I'm going to read, read to you this because it relates to David's relationship with the Geshurites. This is going to be a, a, an, a foreign entity that is going to have strong links with David's kingdom and also the kingdom uh, thereafter of Solomon. And even uh, the effect of David's relationship is going to play into the history for another hundred years. This is 1 Samuel 27, verse 3 to 8. It says this, And David dwelt with Achish at Gat, or Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. Even David with his two wives, Achinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said to Achish, If I have found grace in your eyes, let them uh, give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell, that is David, dwell uh, in the royal city with you? And Achish gave him Ziklag that day, uh, before Ziklag pertained unto the kings, uh, uh, wherefore Ziklag pertains unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And David, and at the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines, was a full year and four months and David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites, the Gezerites, and the Amalekites. So this is probably around 1010, 1010 BCE, give or take a few years. And David is going to have a campaign with the Geshurites, fight against the Geshurites, or at least uh, try and uh, put them underneath his uh, underneath his his hold, uh, a raiding party on the Geshurites of something, something like that. The Bible doesn't really elaborate too much, but we know that the Geshurites are a people at this point. Final year of King Saul's reign, just before David's going to be king over the tribe of Judah, which he'll be for seven years uh, before he's made king over a united, a united Israel. So right after this, the Philistine army attacks King Saul, goes all the way around the northern part of the, the hill country into the Valley of Jezreel, and it's going to assemble there you know, really close to Mount Gilboa, just to the, and is going to attack King Saul, and King Saul and Jonathan are going to die on Mount Gilboa in the very north uh, part of, of the high country there before you get to the Valley of Jezreel. And then you would have some bitter infighting after King Saul dies between David's kingdom which is ruled from Hebron in the territory of Judah, and then the continuation of Saul's dynasty under Ishbal or Ishbosheth uh, for for another couple of years. Now, with that context, let's read Second Samuel three and verse one to three. So, shortly before this, about eight years earlier than what I'm going to read, David has a raid up into Geshur. Okay, and now he's ruling from Hebron after Saul's death. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And unto David were sons born in Hebron. And his firstborn was Am, uh, Amnon of Achinoam, the Jezreelitess, and his second, uh, um, Kiliab or Kiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And third, Absalom of Avshalom, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. So, what you have in this intervening period is you have David taking on a couple of wives. You see from the, the previous uh, passage we read when he was given Ziklag, he only had two wives. Now he's got four. And, uh, well, he's got three here, but he actually, well, he has another one because we know that Saul's wife, uh, Saul's daughter was given to him as well. But here you have uh, um, Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur being mentioned. And so it makes sense that while he was up there around Geshur, in Geshur for that raid, that he picked up a wife. He picked up a wife, the daughter of the king, King Talmai of the Geshurites up there in the Golan Heights region, northern Sea of Galilee region. King David married the daughter of the king of Geshur. And what's interesting from the discovery that was made a couple of years ago at Teletel, or, or probably Bethsaida, this, everyone kind of ex uh, believes, is the capital city of the Geshurites because it's massive. There's a wall there that's six meters thick. It's huge. And they found the city gate from King David's time. 
and what the 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 understanding of this is when David went up there for this raid, this town would have existed or this city would have existed as would have this one on the Golan Heights that they recently found. And yet you don't have massive destruction of them. And so perhaps there was some type of deal worked out between David and the Geshurites. And it stands to reason because you've got David coming away with the daughter of the king. This was a political marriage that was worked out between David and, and uh, the king of Geshur. Uh, known as Talmay. And so if we look at the massive gatehouse just north of the Sea of Galilee, really just as the, the delta of the upper Jordan comes into the Sea of Galilee there, it's so big, it makes sense that if the king of that town in this area is going to give his, his, his daughter to David, it makes sense that David was not just some petty tribal chieftain from the lower hill country of Judah, it wouldn't make sense. It makes sense that the Bible describes David as being more powerful and stronger than that, and that there would be some type of political relationship with this strong king, it seems. At least uh, strong in the terms of the regional dynamics, this strong king of Geshur. So what you had then, David is going to take this woman. Uh, he's actually going to end up, as we read in that passage before, have a child, and that child is going to be uh, Absalom, or Absalom, and this was this is going to create some difficulties in the house of David. You'll remember the account that uh, Absalom uh, Absalom was going to end up killing Amnon, his half brother, because his sister Tamar was was actually raped, and after that, you can read in the Bible, Second Samuel thirteen verse thirty seven. Where does he go? Where does, where does Absalom go? For three whole years, he, he leaves Jerusalem after he kills his half-brother, and he takes off, and he takes off back to Geshurite territory, back to where his mother was from. He's going to go stay with his in-laws. He's going to go stay with his, with his uh, uh, perhaps his grandfather, as it would be if he, if he was still alive at the time. We don't really know. But uh, he is going to, or actually, I think we do know, I think that it might be recorded in that verse. But he's going to go back up to Geshurite territory. So when we're talking about this, uh, this, this discovery from this week, and also Teletel, 15 kilometers away, very close, big city of the Geshurites, this is where Absalom spent time in exile away from David, his father. And Joab, or Joab, is going to then um, con- concoct some type of... Uh, situation, fake situation, uh, to get David to understand that it's okay for him to bring back Absalom back to Jerusalem, and uh, he would end up doing that. And so Absalom would then actually come back. He's going to have a daughter himself, and you remember his mother, which was David's wife, was called Makkah, and the Bible talks about how Absalom uh, Absalom has has a daughter, and uh, his wife, uh, sorry, his daughter is going to be called Makkah as well. So he probably had a pretty close relationship with his mother. He calls his daughter by his mother's name. And then this daughter, Makkah, who is, you know, related to the, the Geshurite throne, who's Absalom's, uh, Absalom's daughter, she's actually going to marry King Rehoboam. She's going to marry Solomon's son. And then Solomon, and then the son that comes from uh, that comes from this relationship between Rehoboam and the Bible talks about how this this girl Absalom's daughter Makkah, who was part of the the Geshurite line, also she is actually she is actually going to be the favorite wife of Rehoboam, and she is going to uh, produce the heir of the line of David. So King Abijah or Abiah is going to I think he's the fourth. Yeah, the great-grandson of David, and that is going to be uh, Absalom's daughter's son. So the Geshurite line is interwoven with the kingly line of David. Now this woman, Absalom's daughter, is going to hang around for a while. She's going to be there throughout the reign, even after Abiah dies, her son dies. Um, Asa is going to be king over Judah. And this woman is still there as queen. She's still there as queen in Jerusalem. 
and both accounts in Kings and Chronicles bring, bring this out. And then eventually she's actually going to be put to death by her grandson, Asa, for her wickedness, for her idolatry, specifically her idolatry. And she had set up an idol in the Kidron Valley and, and that existed there probably for some time. And Asa went ahead and destroyed that and obviously recognized the negative influence of her of his grandmother on the on the entire uh, nation of Judah and ended up putting her to death now it's interesting because you can see the idolatry and and the influence that, that idolatry had on the southern kingdom of Judah through the reign of of Rehoboam and into Abiah Abia and Asa's reign and the woman that the bible says or indicates was somewhat at the core at the root of that was the queen or the queen's mo- or the king's mother the king's grandmother that was still around who was related to the Geshurites, these foreigners and eventually she had she was put to death now what have they discovered at this site how to, in in the in the northern golan heights oh not the northern golan heights the southern golan heights i should say this past week you, we've got pictures of it on our in our article there's obviously some video of it as well in both locations, you have a similar-looking deity. And it's just I find it interesting or interesting coincidence uh, that that deity was probably taken with uh, Maka, the daughter of Telmei, David's wife, that he probably he shouldn't have married, this political marriage, and it's going to be a thorn in the side of David's dynasty for another hundred years. Anyhow, that's what the Bible says about uh, this, this, uh, the Jeshurites and their relationship with King David. Now I'm just going to quote from a couple of articles. You might have read these articles. One of them is in Haaretz, the other is in Time of Is Times of Israel. They both give a lot of uh, interesting details, of course, of the discovery. Some that we've already covered, and some extras. And so I'll leave a couple of links to these articles for your perusal, should you so desire. But first, I want to quote quote from the Haaretz piece just because it is interesting the way that it describes the biblical narrative. And so contrast this with the way that the people that are excavating, that live there, talk about the, the Bible and its history and connecting themselves to the Bible and its history. And now let's go to the reporting and some of uh, the archaeologists. Uh, this is how Ariel David starts his piece. Israeli archaeologists digging in the Golan Heights have found the remains of a massive 3,000-year-old stronghold they believe belonged to the kingdom of Gesher, an ancient city-state in the northern Levant, which the Bible describes as an ally of King David. Little is known from outside the Bible about this kingdom. It appears that its inhabitants worshipped a horned moon god, and archaeologists have yet to find any hard evidence of a link to the ancient Israelites or the much-debated united monarchy of David and Solomon. And so you kind of get where this article is going to go. We have the Bible that talks about the Geshurites. They have a new discovery. And so we need to use this opportunity to show that there's no evidence of the Bible being accurate, uh, as they will, as they say. And so uh, let's just continue on here. Uh, it says this, the preliminary analysis of the pottery dates the fort to the early Iron Age, specifically the 11th or 10th century. So this this is the time period of of King David. And whenever you hear 10th century <laughs> in archaeological circles, you know to watch out because it's going to uh, really divide the archaeological world, get to your battle stations, because this is what the fight is over. The 10th century, the infamous 10th century time of David and Solomon. It's, and then, uh, continuing this article, this, according to the biblical chronology, would have been the time of the great united Israelite monarchy of David and Solomon. And Gesher is mentioned several times in the holy text in connection to this kingdom. And that's what I've already covered with you. Uh, however, of course, the however, most scholars agree. Whenever you read that, most scholars agree it's most scholars that this person talked to. <laughs> most scholars agree that the Bible was first put in writing at the earliest in the late 7th century BCE. Okay, that's probably when the first edit took place. Uh, but no, actually, it's not when the first edit took place, if you believe what the Bible says. Nevertheless, uh, we'll continue at the end of the first temple period, centuries after the purported time of King David. So there is much debate. So 
There is much debate on the historicity of the biblical account of those distant days. While David is mentioned in at least one extra-biblical inscription, that's talking about the Tel Dan Stele, uh, and is therefore considered a historical figure, there is little evidence that he and his son Solomon really created a vast empire, and it seems much more likely that they ruled over a small territory comprising Jerusalem and the surrounding region of Judah. And so, obviously, this they can't say that this kingdom, even though it's not that far, just up on the Golan Heights, uh, had a relationship with David, because that would say that David was probably a stronger power than a tribal chieftain over Jerusalem and the hill country. This, uh, uh, this author continues at Haaretz. It's more likely that the biblical, the biblical mentions of a connection between Gesher and the Israelites refer to a later period, the 9th century BCE, so 100 years after David, suggests Tel Aviv University's Professor Israel Finkelstein, one of the country's leading biblical archaeologists. This was well after the end of the purported united monarchy and the time when the Omri dynasty ruled over the northern kingdom of Israel, as opposed to the southern kingdom of Judah, and is indeed believed to have expanded its influence over these territories. So you have this other narrative, and every time you have this narrative put forth, it's put forth by, again, the same archaeologist at uh, Tel Aviv University. And his big point, and it's been this way for 20 years, David and Solomon are nothing. The biblical stories of David and Solomon, they were made up. Really, they are Jewish authors that are describing the northern kingdom of Omri and Ahab, and they, for some reason, were jealous, and they wanted to give uh, certain... Uh, they wanted to give greater esteem to the kingdom of Judah. So they took the history of the northern tribe, these scribes did, <laughs> hundreds of years later, when they're recording the biblical history, they took the narrative or the, the history of, of the grand Israelite kingdom of Omri and Ahab, and they just put David's name to it. David's name uh, and Solomon's name, and then put on the history of actually what took place in the northern tribes. That's the theory. Quote, I can't see a historical scenario according to which an Israelite monarch is active in this area before the Omri dynasty in the Northern Kingdom in the first half of the 9th century BCE. As far as I can tell, the biblical references to the connection with this kingdom portray memories of the reality of the 9th century and specifically of the Northern Kingdom retrojected by later biblical author by the later biblical author, to the time period of King David. So, it must have been Omri and Ahab. They are the ones that had relations with the Geshurites, not King David. The Judean scribes just made it all up. Just made it all up. And that's his uh, theory, and that's what is put out there. That this kingdom of Geshur, this discovery, has nothing to do with King David. Although, if you read in the Bible... The Bible doesn't really talk much about uh, the Geshurites during the time of the Northern Kingdom at all. It talks about it during the time period of King David and King Solomon. And when does this site date from? It dates from the time of King David and King Solomon. And so, huh, if this, if this, if this is a town that exists during David and Solomon's time, and yet the biblical authors are just, they're just concocting something hundreds of years later, and it's actually the relationship that the Northern Kingdom had with this territory and with these people, then why aren't these fortresses being built in existence during the 9th century, the late 9th century, during, or the early 8th, uh, 9th century, Ahab and Omri's time? They're not. They're not there. They were destroyed, or at least uh, Bethsaida was destroyed, destroyed during the time of Rehoboam and during the time of Jeroboam I. And so there's obviously some issues here. Where the Bible puts them in the right spot. The Bible talking about the Gesher during the time of King, uh, King David and these sites match to the time period of King David as well. The easiest option was to use the Bible as a historical document, and then you can fit it quite well in the biblical narrative. Nothing they've discovered in this site or the other Geshurite site from a few years ago contradicts what the Bible says. In fact, it aligns nicely with what the Bible says. Does it prove the Bible? You're never going to be able to uh, produce enough evidence to prove the Bible for many of these people. And it doesn't have direct evidence of the Bible either. I'm just saying, 
The biblical narrative fits well with what they've discovered up there in Gesher and biblical Gesher. So why not? Why not? align it with the biblical text rather than trashing the biblical text. This is an article now from the Times of Israel. And the Times of Israel goes ahead and quotes the IAA's scientific advisor in the northern region, Ron Baeri. Uh, he told the Times of Israel, talked to the Times of Israel on Wednesday. And this is quoting him now. This is the scientific advisor to the IAA. These are not, this is not the archaeologist that was excavating, archaeologists that were excavating there. This is an IAA advisor. Quote, the minute the Egyptian and Hittite empires are destroyed, there is a big vacuum. So he's talking about the destruction sometime, uh, I think he has it here, yeah, 1180 BCE, a massive collapse all through the whole uh, ancient Near East, uh, Eastern Mediterranean cultures were destroyed around 1180, they've got here, BCE. So he's saying, the minute that that happened, there is a big vacuum. There is no, histori there is no historian that writes the history of the era, and we return to a sort of prehistory in which we only have physical artifacts to base our assumptions on. So we go into the realm of speculation. It's really impossible to know what happened. <laughs> so, so basically he's saying here, after the collapse of, this, of the peoples, uh, the other peoples, the Egyptians and the Hittites, uh, in the period of the judges, we don't really have any history books. We don't know what happens here. We just can speculate. We have some physical stuff, and we base our assumptions on that, but it's impossible to really know what happened. So, just so you know, this is the period of the Bible. This is the period of the latter judges, King Saul, time period of Samuel, David, and Solomon. And he's saying, we, we don't really have, there's no historian that writes the history of this era. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's, there's, there's books in the Bible of the history of this era. And so far, so far, you, you show me something that the Bible writes about King David that has been proven uh, to be inaccurate. You cannot find it. You cannot find something that the Bible says from King David's time, King Solomon's time, that was written by historians, ancient historians, that is inaccurate. You cannot find it. And in fact, you find plenty of proof of King David and of the relationships that King David had with these people such as the Geshurites. But to this IAA scientific advisor, there's no, there's no text from this period that details the history of this area in this Egyptian Hittite vacuum that we can look at for understanding or for, for help or of helping interpret some of our physical artifacts. We don't really know what happened. In fact, it's impossible to know what happened, he says. Then he continues this same scientific advisor. The problem is, the biblical text is not a historical document, rather theological, and was written by lines of kings who had their own agenda. Therefore, we must rely on physical artifacts. Okay, I'm not saying throw out the physical artifacts. I'm not even saying, you know, read the biblical text and this is the way it is. This is the way it has to be. I'm saying consult it as the best historical document, document at least, that you have that details the history of this time. I mean, even if it is written in the 7th century, it's only a couple hundred years removed. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. And if it writes about the biblical Geshurites, I mean, the biblical Geshurites were a people, as your physical stuff says, from the time of King David and King Solomon, and that's the time period that they found the Geshurite kingdom. And so I would say there is more that you have to go on. There is some history there in the Bible that can be used as a source for archaeologists. We must rely on physical artifacts. Well, that doesn't really tell you much. You need a narrative. You need a story, a history to go along with the physical stuff or else it's, it's just physical stuff. And you talk to those people that live on the Golan Heights. I'm not saying create a false narrative, but when it matches with the Bible, why not 
tell them that. And it seems like the people that are excavating that are being told that, but not the rest of Israelis, not the, the rest of the people. They're being told the Bible is a fraud. It can't be consulted for history. When this discovery from this past week, I mean, matches so well with the, what the Bible says uh, from uh, during the time of King David. Just continue on, continuing this, to this article here. It says here, One noteworthy mention of Gesher in the Bible is as a place of refuge to King David and Makkah's son, Absalom, after the murder of his half-brother Amnon to avenge the rape of his sister Tamar in 2 Samuel 15, verse 8, the prince speaks to his father, King David, saying, For I vowed a vow while residing in Gesher, which is in Aram, saying, If the Lord will bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will worship the Lord. And that's, you know, Absalom said that, and he would end up going down to Hebron and raising insurrection against David <laughs> uh, eventually. But he said he was in Gesher, which is in Aram, and it is. The Bible is correct with that. Uh, Absalom knew what he was talking about, and so did the biblical authors, those pesky Judean scribes from hundreds of years later. They knew what they were talking about as well, apparently. Uh, the article continues, Other known Gesher cities are found along the Sea of Galilee, Galilee shore, including in Gev, Tel Adar, Hadar, and Tel Sorag. But in the Golans, Golan, such sites are hardly known, according to the IAA press release. Then it writes this, and this is kind of disappointing uh, from, from the author here. It says, The sole potential evidence, and evidence is in scare quotes, for the historical veracity of King David, the Tel Dan Stele, which was written after 870 BCE, and mentions a triumph over the house of David, was discovered at another Aramean settlement in the kingdom of Aram in the northern is in northern Israel. And so I don't know why. Even Haaretz said that this isn't potential evidence for the historical veracity of David. It said it was actually evidence for the historical veracity of David, the Tel Dan Stele, which mentions mentions the house of David, and that was discovered as an at an Aramean settlement. Tel Dan. Tell Dan after the biblical uh, biblical tribe, Dan. And Dan, that's where Jeroboam was right during this period as well. And they did, over the Arameans overcame that site for a little bit. But why not talk about it being Tel Dan or, or uh, you know, an Israelite place as well? This is like a border region between the Arameans and the Israelites, so it's going to go back and forth. But, I mean, in both of those articles, you just see this uh, ugly bias against the Bible as being history when there's no need. Like, why even incorporate that into these articles? The Bible talks about the Geshurites during the time of King David. They're actually going to marry into the royal line of David. David's great-grandson is going to be of the line of the Geshurites as well. And you have physical evidence of the Geshurites being a people right where the Bible says they should be and right at the time that the Bible says that they should be there, and they're worshipping these uh, false gods as well. And that's also another connection to Makkah, the, 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 the daughter of Absalom, and uh, the, the granddaughter uh, of Talmai as well, the king of the Geshurites that had a relationship with David. So there is, there is plenty of evidence there. The connections are there. The connections are clear. If you have read, read these articles, um, don't read them and, and think that that's what the evidence dictates. Don't just see the word professor from certain university. Uh, they have their bias just as much or more than those, those, Judean, <laughs> those Judean scribes during King Josiah's time. I tell you what, those, those Tel Aviv professors, they have their bias, that's for sure. And so if, if they say that we can't trust um, Judean scribes from 2,700 years ago, then, but we can trust them and their concepts based on their own uh, interpretation and their own, you know, their own human reasoning, I think, I mean, a couple of those quotes from Israel Finkelstein, he doesn't sound too sure of his, he doesn't sound too sure of his position. 
I can't see a historical scenario according to which an Israelite monarch is active in this area before the Omride dynasty in the Northern Kingdom. Okay, so they're not... Well, that's, that's the date of these places being constructed, and that's the date the Bible puts with them. So, I mean, you show me, you show me, and perhaps there is, perhaps there is, you know, these places, uh, the Geshurite kingdom continuing uh, for a long time uh, during the time of Omri and Ahab, but that's not what the, that's not, doesn't match up with the archaeological discoveries, nor what the Bible says. Then he says this, as far as I can judge, the biblical references to the connection of the northern, of this kingdom portray memories of realities of the ninth century retrojected by the later biblical author to the time of King David. Okay. Why are we why are we even discussing this? This is a grandiose uh idea, hypotheses, hypothesis, unproven, but one that a whole career has been based around. And so I would call that bias also. We have to be aware of our biases. We have to try and look at the facts. All we ask again is you put the Bible and what it says next to the archaeology and see if they can, uh, if, see if they go together, see if they gel, see if one can actually help you interpret the discoveries of the other. And both of them do. It goes both ways for sure. Give the Bible a fair shake. Don't destroy the, the trust of the people in the Bible, biblical history, with some type of hypothesis that is far out, crazy, and not proven as well. Why go to those lengths, and why give them airtime uh, in the press as well? That's all we have time for today. Thank you again very much for listening to this Watch Jerusalem podcast. If you'd like to send some feedback to our podcast, please go ahead and write your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Next week, I'll be with you again. Hopefully, we can, there's another discovery so that we can continue on this theme of looking at what the Bible says of King David and then comparing it with archaeological discovery. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.